We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the evening of December 21st, 2021, as we record this new episode. 20 days into the Major League Baseball lockout and still no end in sight when baseball activities will resume outside of hirings and signing players to minor league contracts. Buck Walter is back on the bench as he takes over the New York Mets job. And old friend Mark Kotze is the new Oakland A skipper. While we wait for the league to operate under a new CBA, I figured we could do something fun before the Christmas break. The biggest entertainment news in the past week has been the theatrical release of Spider-Man No Way Home. I am a huge Spider-Man fan. Once took a class in college called Comic Book English, which we had to pick a character to explore their arc in the comics, and Spider-Man was my pick, so I got hyped For these movies and based on the 250 million plus dollars Spider-Man has already generated in theater ticket sales despite the recent surge in COVID cases, I'm not alone. Without giving much away, what's fun about this new Spider-Man movie is it explores the multiverse. It got me thinking, what if we at Sox Machine were able to open up the White Sox multiverse? How would we change past events or bring players from other eras into the present to help win a World Series title? So join us as we open up the White White Sox Sox Multiverse. Multiverse. Joining me on this voyage is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. Jim, thanks for entertaining me. With this hypothetical, impractical, highly unlikely, it would ever happen idea of the White Sox multiverse. (laughs) I'm glad you did the explaining because uh, I am woefully behind on (laughs) 
<laughs> anything superhero related, Marvel related. Now that I have a son, perhaps in like eight to 10 years, I'll be going to the movies uh, with him and learning a lot by osmosis. But for, I would say the majority of 2020s, I will be a lost cause. <laughs> All right. Well, the first stop on our journey in this White Sox multiverse, let's change some past events in franchise history. And there's a lot to pick from when it concerns the Chicago White Sox, a 120 plus year history. What's one of the first events that you would change to improve the outcome? Or maybe you're a bit evil, Jim, and want to reverse something good for the White Sox. Hmm. Well, I think when it comes to the White Sox, you look at a few different, you know, just, uh, I guess, Lynch, not linchpin, like, you know, milestone moments, watershed moments in their trajectory and one is the 1919 world series if you could somehow go back in the multiverse and uh, you know i don't know whether it's um you know saying no to chick gandle and swede riesberg or just keeping them off the team and trying to uh build around shoeless joe and eddie collins somehow uh and maybe that allows the white Sox to be healthy enough to acquire babe ruth at some point uh, that would be one outcome. Uh, the other one would be uh, the 1994 team. And somehow, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that can possibly interfere with Jerry Reinsdorf's disdain for labor. <laughs> so I don't know what would change him from wanting to uh, try to break the union and still a salary cap at any cost. But, you know, maybe like if we're talking, you know, superheroes, perhaps some kind of, you know, force field that just traps them away from any kind of uh, labor meeting. Well... When was it between Jerry Reinsdorf and Eddie DeBartolo buying the White Sox or was Eddie DeBartolo trying to buy the White Sox from Jerry Reinsdorf at some point? No, it was, bet- it was between them. Between them. Yes. Got it. Would you go back in the multiverse and have Eddie DeBartolo win the bid for the Chicago White Sox? Oh, that could be interesting. You know, it's hard to say the White Sox, uh, the one thing that's tough about talking about ownership situations or you know, per- perhaps some potential ownership decisions during that decade was the crumbling of Comiskey Park and would another owner have relocated them? You know, just say, I know that Reinsdorf played hardball and he almost moved in Florida, but he didn't. Would another owner perhaps do that <laughs> just because uh, the, the possibility was there? That's the one thing I would say that I wouldn't necessarily want to tinker with too much but if i could somehow you know another case with reinsdorf and just the uh decisions that could be made is just perhaps really emphasizing the assets of the armor field plan the armor park plan instead of what became new comiskey park trying to get the white Sox to be the first to have that retro ballpark that Camden Yards beat them to or beat everybody else to because the White Sox passed on the opportunity. That might be another one that I think might have changed the fortunes of the team. How do you think it would have changed the fortunes if they went with that plan? Probably the key one would just be tourism money. Hmm. Just, um, you know, the White Sox, they, they had a lot going for them with that, you know, early 90s team. Um, they had the uniform going for them. They had star players on both sides of the ball, including Frank Thomas, who had national endorsements. You know, the, the one thing that kind of held them back from, 
greater acclaim or maybe just like wrestling a greater market share away from the Cubs for good, you know, or maybe at least dividing the town in half versus like the 65, 35, 70, 30 split that there is now would be having a park that fans or baseball fans or indifferent fans would want to go to just to cross it off their list or, or be on their bucket list. Right now, I think Guaranteed Right Field is a, is a park that fans cross off their list, and I think they end up being pleasantly surprised because their expectations are kind of low. They haven't heard many good things about it. But if they mm-hmm. had some kind of Camden Yards, whether it was you know across from uh, 35th Street uh, as originally planned or whether they you know bought some land in the South Loop to make that happen, just having that kind of... Uh, Camden Yards place where baseball fans say, look at it on a beautiful uh, July night and say like, oh, I got to go there someday. That's, I think, uh, you know, would have been enough to kind of offset maybe or, or buoy the White Sox from the ups and downs of just their franchise fortunes and, and not being that great. And maybe even after the strike. Um, and, you know, even though White Sox fans had a lot of sore feelings from the strike, just having that, um, you know, national interest in their ballpark uh, maybe helping them recover a little bit just by having others visit. Good points. I, I like these moments that you're picking. So I'm going to take us to 1964. The 1964 Chicago White Sox finished the season on a heater. They won their last nine games of the season. However, painfully, they finished one game back of the New York Yankees. So my thinking is, Jim, what if we could change one outcome in late September for the 1964 White Sox for the ball to bounce in their favor to possibly force a game 163 for the American League pennant. And I take us back to September 18th in 1964 against the Washington Senators. In the top of the ninth inning, Hoyt Wilhelm was on the mound for the White Sox. And the Senators had runners on first and second. And with Dick Phillips batting for the Senators, Hoyt Wilhelm threw a pass ball and allowed the runners from first and second to advance to second and third. Classic knuckleballer. And Dick Phillips hit a sacrifice fly to center field, and the Senators took the lead, and they would end up winning that game 5-4. to four. And the Senators finished 62-100 and 100 in that season, so they were not a very good team. And this Senators franchise would later become the Texas Rangers in 1972. So what if, Jim, if we had the power and we could have that pitch be blocked and the runners do not advance, do the White Sox end up winning that game in the bottom of the ninth inning or extra innings? And if they do win that game, then they could force game 163 against the New York Yankees. And if they win that game because they were red hot to end the season... They could come all the way back. It would be this terrific story. And the 64 World Series, instead of being the Cardinals and the Yankees, would have been the Cardinals and the White Sox. See, I had a different idea with the 60 White Sox or the 60s White Sox just because 63 through 65, they won 90 games or at least 94 games for three straight years. Uh, A string of success the White Sox have never seen uh, before or after. And when I was reading about uh, Dick Allen and just, you know, when it came to his passing uh, last year and then his Hall of Fame case this time around and just reading about everything he endured in Philadelphia as he came up and, you know, even though he was a great player for the Phillies, like all the crap he had to endure from the press and how the time he got to the White Sox, like he felt at home on the South Side. 
but you know perhaps because of the reputation preceding him and perhaps of some habits that he developed um, just because of you know having to cope with such a hostile environment in Philadelphia my thought was what if you could have Dick Allen spend his entire career in Chicago starting in 1964 hmm. Rookie of the Year in 1964, uh, hits 318, 29 homers, uh, 939 OPS, hits 40 homers in 1966. Like those teams of the 1960s, those White Sox teams, were all pitching in defense. They had Peters and uh, Pizarro and Horland in the rotation. They had a you know, good defense, uh, and they had like a, a lot of you know contributors, kind of a balanced lineup, but no home run hitters. If you gave them Dick Allen and a Dick Allen who might not be jaded and might not have this, um, you know, uh, you know the, the, the whole thing with Dick Allen was that he was at war with the world and the world started it. You know, if he didn't have that um, chip on his shoulder and just was allowed to play in a place that liked him the entire time and, and whose power would have been a godsend uh, for a team that never saw that kind of home run power, what did the White Sox look like if they could turn those 1960s teams into a couple of pennants because Dick Allen's there and happy and probably a Hall of Famer? Well, then you would have the golden age of White Sox baseball, right? From from 1959 through at least the mid-60s. Yeah, as long as, you know, the, the one thing is like just ownership during that time was just kind of a year-to-year proposition in terms right. of just how much capital they had and uh, who was going to be in charge. So, like, whether Dick Allen would have provided that stability or whether the success that his bat could have added to those lineups, uh, you know, whether it could have brought that stability to the ownership level and to the resources level, um, I'm, I can't say for sure, but I would love to find out. That 1964 season was crazy because they didn't have the playoffs. There's only 20 teams in the league. The Yankees won the American League pennant. They finished 99-63. The White Sox finished 98-64. Baltimore finished 97-65, like right down to the wire. And the same thing happened in the National League. St. Louis won the pennant with a 93-69 record. Cincinnati and Philadelphia both finished 92-70, Jim. Like just a crazy race to the finish both in the American and National Leagues, and fans were rewarded with a seven-game World Series as the Cardinals beat the Yankees in seven games. Just, I like reading about the 1964 season because it's just a mad dash, and the White Sox are involved, and painfully, even though they won their last nine games, uh, they finished just one game short. So I would want to go back in the multiverse to fix one game, but maybe the White Sox are a 100-plus win team in 1964 with Dick Allen into the fold. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the home run totals, and in those three years, they finished ninth, seventh, and ninth in home runs. In the American League, that had 10 teams. Yes. Yeah. So they could, they really needed, they really needed Dick Allen. Uh, all right, the other event that I would go to, and for those that are listening of the older crowd, uh, I know this tugs at you. We're going to the American League Championship Series in 1983. And the seventh inning of that game, because again, the White Sox end up losing game four, three to nothing as they give up three runs in the 10th inning. And what I want to do is fix one of the bunts for the White Sox. So the situation, the seventh inning, so Greg Walker let it off with a single and Mike Squires pinch ran for Greg Walker. And then Vance Law, Singled, So you got runners on first and second. And you had Jerry 
Dibininski. Dibzinski. Dibzinski. I have to work on my Polish. Uh, (laughs) The Dibber. The Dibber. Not a very good hitter whatsoever. (laughs) Lays down a bunt, but it's not a good bunt. The force out happens at third base in front of home plate from the catcher to third, and Squires is out at third. And then Julio Cruz singles to left field. Law tries to score from second and gets caught in a rundown, and he's out. And then Rudy Law flies out to end the inning, and the White Sox don't score any runs. So with our multiverse power, Jim, if we can go back to 1983 and somehow magically push that ball further away (laughs) down the third base line, and it gets the runners over to second and third, I'm thinking the White Sox score two runs and they win game four, two to nothing. And they force a game five and get the ball back to Lamar Hoyt. And maybe instead of an Orioles Phillies World Series, we could have seen a White Sox Phillies World Series in 1983. Yeah, I think that's probably a good individual game to affect just because of the... the Dibber, just everybody, you know, when they hear the name, they roll their eyes or they sigh and just think, oh, yeah, why? <laughs> so I think, I think that's probably, you know, the, the right kind of game to impact just because, you know, it was early in the Reinsdorf era. You had a lot of excitement building from the Carlton Fisk editions and then um, you kind of coalescing into this 1983 winning ugly run in the second half. So yeah, perhaps if they can somehow tip the scales of that ALCS in their favor, that's another case where perhaps they have that kind of run of success and, and, and put their stamp on the league earlier that allows them to have a sustainable run that just keeps the White Sox out of these ruts that they later fell in. So those are my two picks. Do you have any other picks that you would go back in history and change for the White Sox? And I think I, we, I think we've largely covered it. I think the one thing I I come back to is like I wish HDTV was widely adopted by 2005 because those highlights look so dated now. <laughs> they do. Yeah, they do. They do. It's kind of like watching the 1985 Bears Super Bowl highlights. Yeah, which I guess, you know, maybe is healthy in a way just because if it looks too current, then it's easy to just keep pointing back to it. Oh, that's a good point. But if it looks faded and kind of fuzzy and just, uh, you know, letterboxed and just not the same, then perhaps it's, you know, just look at it and say like that happened a long time ago. We need something newer. I'm sure there are some screaming at us right now that they, they would go back and nix the James Shields trade and keep Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, with the White Sox. Yeah, that would be fascinating. I mean, the, that's really Marco Patti's only traditional signing that's really panned out. It just happened to be for another team. So, you know, assuming he was preternaturally talented enough to make it through uh, the White Sox development or, you know, development issues if they have them for a player that's talented. Yeah, that'd be a good one, too. So Jim and I are going to take a quick rest on our multiverse journey. But after a quick word from our sponsors, we continue looking at which past players would add to the 2022 White Sox roster to improve their chances of winning a World Series. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as we continue our multiverse journey for the Chicago White Sox. And the next topic on our journey, asking the question, which past White Sox player would you bring to the present in helping the 2022 White Sox win a World Series? So Jim, would you like me to start with some of the submissions that we got from Twitter? And if you're not following us on Twitter, we're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Or do you have one that is a brilliant idea it's a must-have for this White Sox team that you would just pick up from the past timeline and bring to the present. Let's give our listeners and readers and followers some credit. So go with them. All right. So we got Rob, one of our Patreon supporters. He he dropped two of uh, two on us. 1998 Albert Bell or 2015 Chris Sale. I, I like those picks. Mm-hmm. Brian tweeted at us, 2002 Maglio Ordonez. Uh, we had Bruhan Luke tweet at us, 2008 Carlos Quinton before the wrist injury, which he was an MVP candidate at that time. We got Titans Mondo, Southside Mondo. He tweeted at us, 2014 Chris Sales, so a couple Chris Sales. Shigerian Prince tweeted at us, 2000 Jose Valentin. Help out in the infield, help out in the outfield. Our friend Beeflo from the 108 picked Ozzie Guillen in 1987 because he thinks the team could use a top-notch defender and move Tim Anderson to second base. And then the obvious pick, Mark Bussey tweeted at us, uh, 1994 Frank Thomas, MVP year. Uh, Jordan tweeted at us, 1920 Eddie Collins to take care of second base. And speaking of second base, Tim Mayer suggested, why not 1998 Ray Durham? And then Yellow Jacket wants to swap out Lurie Garcia, with 1996 Tony Phillips. 
And then Billy picked Dick Allen in 1972. So I think those are very good options. Jim, who would you pick? What player from what year would you pick up from the timeline and bring to the present and help the White Sox win a World Series in 2022? Well, 1994, Frank Thomas feels like cheating. <laughs> Look at just what he did and, and just how warped that year was at 212 OPS plus. Like he was on pace for like 150 RBIs and runs and 150 walks. Like it was nearly a 500 OBP, like getting on base every other time. It's insane. Uh, Albert Bell, I thought of, but the one thing that kind of gives me pause with Albert Bell is that his season uh, that year was backloaded. Uh, first half was more or less ordinary. It was fine. It was decent. He had an 871 OPS in the second half or in the first half. In the second half, 1267, <laughs> 31 homers in 76 games. Like he went off and he, you know, just, it was a, a run that was really just, you know, we just seen Frank Thomas recently, you know, in, in the recent past at that time do it. But uh, when it came to like the home run holes and such, he was just basically, it seemed like every night he was going deep, but the, 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 the knock on him, or at least the knock on that season was that it was too late to impact what the White Sox were doing. It was kind of stat padding. Uh, and then just Bell being kind of not a uh, very fun person to be around or talk to uh, affected that further. But that's the one thing where I think, you know, when you look at Frank Thomas versus Albert Bell, give Thomas a nod because, you know, that was just you know, the only 111 games they had that year, 112 games. Let me look at that year. But it was just, he was there the entire season until it ended. Uh, and, and the reason why the White Sox were such a force offensively, uh, that's, I, I think, really something. <laughs> I think that's the kind of bet where if you have a guy reaching base nearly half the time and slugging over 700, you make room for that bat no matter what. Yeah, who needs defense, right? If you have 1994 Frank Thomas as your DH in this lineup, uh, batting him third over Jose Abreu. Abreu, you could bat cleanup, let the Hall of Famer bat third. Who cares who's playing in right field and second base? Because the team's got a chance of scoring 1,000 runs in a season with 1994 Frank Thomas. Uh, anyone else that comes to mind that you think would be a good fit for this 2022 White Sox team or would be a need for this 2022 White Sox team? Well, I do like the Magli or Adonia's reference just because, you know, right fielder who does everything well or at least nothing, either everything well or nothing poorly. And and we saw what he did with the Tigers after he left the White Sox and they got to the uh, World Series one year. He had a second place MVP finish another year. So yeah, he's somebody who... I think would meet you know, maybe not be Frank Thomas good, but if you, if you rule out Frank Thomas as cheating and you just look at what a guy could do for a position um, of need, then yeah, he might be the best to fill an exact position uh, and in the, in the two positions, the White Sox have. I mean, you could go with Eddie Collins. I'm a little bit loath to um, just transplant pre-integration players just because, so it was such a, it's hard for me to wrap that around. Like, you know, Eddie Collins was great for his time. Uh, Hall of Famer, the best second base in White Sox history, often overlooked like Nellie Fox gets, whenever they look at all-time second baseman for the White Sox, Nellie Fox tends to be that guy. But Eddie Collins is a superior player. He was almost a Hall of Famer, like in two different teams. Like if he just cut him in half or just, you know, separated his careers, he might've been a Hall of Famer in both careers uh, between the Philadelphia A's and the, uh, and the, and the White Sox. But when it comes to, you know, if you can find somebody more recent, like from the 1950s on, I think Minnie Minoso is also somebody who could fit very well in that Ordonez, uh light uh, in right field, 
with his array of skills, he'd be another guy who fits. That's, I think, the uh, two guys I look at just that, that would really fit that vacancy. Ray Durham, I like him at second base too as a table setter. So that uh, that's, a, that's a great suggestion. Um, he was very underappreciated. I think he and Ordonez fall into that same uh, pit where just the numbers from the late 90s and early 2000s were so warped that uh, very good players with a very broad set of skills and get on base and play defense and, and offer something on both sides of the ball just got overshadowed by guys po- posting just freakish numbers. So, uh, yeah, I think our uh, supporters mainly uh, covered a lot of that. If you can think like Wilbur Wood could bring 300 innings to this team. Um <laughs> And maybe, maybe he's a knuckleballer. He could, you know, maybe that's a case where, you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody who threw, uh, you know, impressed the league with fastballs of 92 miles per hour just would be pounded now. But if you think like Wilbur Wood in his, in his knuckleballers timeless and he could throw 300 innings, uh, then yeah, I'd like to see that. That's maybe my, my off the board case for somebody who could offer a ton to this team just by soaking up that many innings. Okay, I, I like these picks. So the one that I am making a case for, I was hopeful that no one was going to suggest it. But Kenwo, of all people, and I shouldn't be shocked, tweeted this suggestion to us. And I kind of agree with Kenwo, because what do the White Sox need right now? The 2022 White Sox. They need another left-handed bat. They need a proven left-handed bat. They also need a right fielder. And this is why many of us are stumping for Michael Conforto in the present day would be a good signing for the White Sox post-lockout to help fulfill that need. And hopefully we don't see a repeat of their Adam Eden signing disaster from last year. So if you are one that thinks the White Sox are too right-handed, may I recommend, Jim, transporting 1984 Harold Baines to the present-day White Sox. He was 25 years old that season, He played 147 games in right field. He had his career best war season at 4.3, which obviously those that don't think that Bain should be in the Hall of Fame are going to be screaming at us. That was his best season? Disregard. We're not having that conversation now. But he hit a career high 29 homers that season and drove in 94 RBIs and had a slash line, a 304 with a 361 on base percentage and slugged 541. And he led the American League in slugging. And he also had 10 triples that season. And he was a monster in the second half of the 1984 season for the White Sox, in which those numbers improved. He hit 321 in the second half, a 385 on base percentage, and slugged almost 600, 599 in his last 66 games of the season. The White Sox in 2021 could have used a second half surge like Harold Baines had in 1984 and he had an 877 OPS with runners in scoring position. He was great against righties and he held his own against left-handed pitching. So I would go with Harold Baines from 1984 to help out the 2022 White Sox. Cause he would actually play a position, mm-hmm. but it would be pretty awesome to see 1994 Frank Thomas as the DH in this lineup. Oh my gosh. That lineup would be ridiculously good. Uh, for the White Sox in 2022. But that would be yeah. my pick. Well, you're talking about a left-handed right fielder. I was thinking Shoeless Joe Jackson. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we also did get that, that suggestion. Yeah, who'd also fit that bill. Although, you know, with I mentioned the pre-integration. Also, you know, through a World Series. So, <laughs> or at least, you know, had a, had a role in it or, you know, was aware of the plot. Whatever you want to say. Like, just 
part of it. He is aware of it. Like, you know, not, not, not blameless, uh, maybe ascribe too much fault, but not blameless. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I still, you know, Harold's a good call. Like, especially, you know, if you can transport the clutch stats that he had and, and you know, you have those game-winning RBIs that he piled up when that was a stat, uh, transport those over, then that's a good call. I think I just like Maglio a bit better just because, um, he was no slouch against righties himself, even though he's a righty. He batted, you know, he batted over 300 for, uh, f- I'm looking at his uh, line with the White Sox here, five consecutive years. Hit 363 later with the Tigers. So if he could somehow, you know, summon that skill set, uh, that ability while with the White Sox, then yeah, that's, a, I think, a case where uh, I think I like Maglio just a bit more. Okay. I Either would be good. Either would be better than what the White Sox are planning to go with in 2022 right now. Yeah, it's good to hear his name. Yes. Great suggestions, everyone. Thank you so much. And our last stop in this White Sox multiverse trip, we are going to flip the script. We're going to take a player from the current roster of the Chicago White Sox, and we're going to send them to the past to help win a World Series for a past White Sox team. You got any ideas as far as any players that you would take now, Jim, and what teams you would transport them back to help win a previous World Series? Well, yeah, I think the home run hitter for the 60s teams, I think I covered that with Dick Allen. That's one uh, one avenue to go. Um, and basically any power hitter for any team before 1970 would be a godsend for the White Sox. Uh, but I'm thinking like specifically for a team that could really use him uh, well and maybe you know change the fortunes of the franchise further. I would say, you know, Lucas Giolito, probably Lance Lynn, you could also make the case, but let's just say Lucas Giolito because of age and, and, and where he is his career, uh, putting him on the 2006 White Sox. Huh. Giving them one more fresh arm. Okay. If Giolito's in the... So you're taking... Present day Lucas Giolito, someone that's in the top 10 pitchers of the American League, and you add him to the 2006 White Sox, do you think they repeat as American League pennant winners? They at least get uh, back-to-back in the postseason the way that uh, they couldn't in the way until the last two years. You know, they'd never done it in franchise history. They won 90 games that year, uh, ran out of steam in the second half, the arms kind of fell apart, and I think... I would, that might be the best way to go. I'm thinking if just one player, um, just giving that rotation uh, just one more arm. I like that pick. I really do. That's a great one. I have two ideas. Okay. My first one, we're going back to the 1983 White Sox. I'm sending Tim Anderson to the 1983 White Sox. Back to the Dibber, right? We just talked about him. Yeah. And he's one of the shortstops that... Started a lot of games for the White Sox in 83. He had a 56 OPS plus in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit 230 with a 283 on base percentage and slug 289. Somehow he was worth zero war, uh, which is kind of impressive with how poor of a hitter he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Fletcher got a lot of time at shortstop. Uh, and he was a better hitter than the Dibber, but he hit 237 with a 310 on base percentage and slug 370. Uh, Fletcher was pretty good defensively and it helped out his war total. And I get this was a period where shortstops weren't huge offensive players, but you did have Cal Ripken Jr. 
who won the American League MVP in 83, leading the league in hits, doubles, runs, 27 homers, 102 RBI, starting off his Hall of Fame career. I'm not saying Anderson would post those type of numbers in 1983, Jim. Maybe he could. But Anderson would have been a huge upgrade than what the White Sox had at shortstop back in 1983. And maybe that changes the outcome of the American League Championship Series if the 83 White Sox had Tim Anderson as their shortstop. Yeah, I like that call just because when you think about his game and you think, you know, what's his weakness is that his walk-to-strikeout ratio is... Uh, really rough. Well, you know, and if you transport him to the 80s, that style of play and what the pitchers are throwing, the strikeout rate comes down. So more balls in play, more chances for him to do what he does. Yeah, I think he would, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that would be the decade for him, I think. It would. And maybe he would run more. Yeah. They had, they did not, they, they did not fear the, st- the stolen base back in the 80s. Good call. Uh, so yeah, so that's one idea is sending Anderson back to the 83 White Sox. The other idea, Luis Robert to the 2008 White Sox. (laughs) Brian Anderson started 93 games in center field for the 2008 White Sox and had an 82 OPS plus. Nick Swisher started the other 70 games in center field and had a 93 OPS plus. Uh, And then Ken Griffey Jr. would insert himself uh, into center field at times uh, as the White Sox had to acquire him because Kenny Williams was not liking his solutions in center field. And I'm just thinking if the 2008 White Sox had someone, a young center fielder, because Brian Anders was, Anderson was very young. And I don't know, Jim, was there a lot of hope back in 2008 that Brian Anderson was going to be an elite hitter? Not an elite hitter, but everybody liked his defense and thought maybe not by 2008. I think some of the shine was uh, uh, starting to come off. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of um, you know just back channel talk about whether you know he was um, reliable enough, uh, both when it comes to you know um, performance and work ethic to really put it all together. But defensively, everybody liked him. They liked him certainly better than Rob Bakoviak when he was out there. Uh, there we had some blog wars with. Uh, Brian Anderson back then that we just preferred his glove uh, over anybody else the White Sox were throwing out there. So that was really just the read on him, but nobody had high hopes. Yeah, if Robert were there, everybody would have been happy to to just uh, shove Brian Anderson aside and, and ride with somebody else. Okay, I did not know. Blog Wars in 2008 regarding Brian Anderson? Well, not 2008, but 2006 with uh, Rob Makoviak in center field. Oh, <laughs> I was unaware of these blog wars. Was it was it bloody? Were there were the were the did anyone cancel or delete their blog during the blog wars of two thousand six? It's possible. A lot of a lot of blogs perished over uh, those two years. Um, I kept writing for some reason, and, and this is where we are now. But yeah, you, you survived. It's yes. your, it's your personal Vietnam. The two thousand six <laughs> White Sox center field. <laughs> well, 2007 was worse. Uh, well, I can imagine. That was the uh, Darren Erstad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hawk Harrelson saying, we're so happy he's here. Yeah, that was a 72 and 90 win team, right? No, 72 yes. and 90 team. Yeah. Yeah, 2007. But those are those are two ideas that I have. Well, thinking, a... <laughs> thinking about 2008, that just reminds me of the... Um, 
oh, sorry, I clicked on the 2007 team and I'm seeing Aaron Wasserman's blank stare as one of the top 12, uh, actually one of the top 10 players in the White Sox in 2007, Aaron <laughs> Wasserman. Jerry oh. Owens was ninth. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. back to 2008. If, you know, going back to the uh, changing one event, if somebody could have distracted Carlos Quinton from punching his bat in September. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Look over there. Throw a firecracker, something. Just a, well, maybe not a firecracker, Vince Coleman. <laughs> but just, you know, something to uh, just distract everybody and, and maybe take him out of that uh, headspace that caused him to break his wrist. That might have changed things, too. He might have been the MVP that year. He might have been. He might have been. Maurer won, right? In 2008, or was it Morneau? That was uh, Pedroia. Was it? Morneau finished second, Mauro's fourth. Oh, that's right. That's going to look odd as we get older. <laughs> uh, actually, it doesn't. I'm looking at the race now. Uh, Pedroia did lead, uh, did lead position players in uh, wins above did replacement. He? Okay, well, then yeah. it doesn't look weird. Maybe it just looks weird to me that a second baseman would put up that type of... Yeah. Uh, but if Quentin stayed healthy, if he got to 40 homers, he might have led the league in homers, you know, over 100 RBIs among the league leaders in OPS. Like he had some, uh, you know, he would have had a lot of the uh, favorable counting stats or the ones people prefer in his favor. That is true. Over 100 runs scored. Like he would have had, uh, you know, hundreds in a lot of places or nice round numbers in other places. Yeah, he was he was a force. Yeah, I've, I've had other ideas. I had a pretty lengthy list of all the places I would go back and reverse the fortunes for the White Sox. See if I could reverse the Memorial Day Massacre of 2016 in Kansas City. Does that prevent them from melting down midseason? Hmm. It's going from 23 to 10 to 33 to 36. Not signing Adam LaRoche. <laughs> Not signing Adam LaRoche. That would have been a good one. Uh, hiding the uniforms <laughs> from Chris Sale. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, a lot of, I got a lot, for some reason, I got a lot of 2016 <laughs> events on my list that I would swap out. Uh, talk about blog wars. Uh, mistakes were made. Yeah, many mistakes were made, but this is fun. I, I had a blast to revisiting as far as the past White Sox events. And it's always great to look at even past White Sox players and see, you know, all the great performances throughout franchise history. And who would you pluck from a previous timeline and bring to the present today to help out the White Sox in 2022 to win the world series. And also reversing that, who would you send back in time to help a, a past White Sox team and Jim, I greatly appreciate it that you tagged along with me for this journey through the White Sox multiverse. It was a lot of fun. Maybe I should watch a movie once in a while. Maybe, maybe. There's a lot of them. So you got some catching up to do. But that will do it for this special edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. We're on that platform now. Also on Spotify. Spotify has ratings. Evidently, you can go and rate podcasts now through Spotify. So if you do listen to us on Spotify, and if you are willing, can give us a five-star review, 
that would be wonderful as that would greatly help us out. And what also greatly helps us out as well is by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our new Socks Machine swag. And speaking of Socks Machine swag, we have our Socks Machine, uh, as far as stocking caps, the beanies, some cool kids would call them. Uh, I'm currently wearing mine right now. It is very comfortable, Jim. You hit it out of the park again uh, Is with our zip-up hoodies that I pretty much wear daily as well because uh, I never change clothes during the pandemic that continues on in our lives uh, and through the Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, but as far as the beanies and stocking caps, how is the inventory coming along? Do we still have some in stock? We do have some left. I believe we're down to our last 10 or thereabouts. By the time you, you know, this, this could hear about uh, this, you could change, but let's say 10. All right. A nice round number. But yeah, just uh, I saw a headline saying that this was the first uh, meteorological fall in Chicago history that there wasn't any recorded snow. So picked a great year for the... <laughs> Sex machine knit cap, but once that snow does arrive, I think it'll come in handy. Yeah, it's going to come. You know it's going to come. It's going to probably snow on opening day now. Everything just gets pushed back in Chicago weather-wise. Uh, I'm not hoping for snow, folks. I don't want to snow out for opening day. I'm just saying. It, snow is definitely going to be coming. However, if you want the new stocking cap, you can go to SocksMachine.com and you can purchase the stocking cap in the store. And again, you can support us on patreon.com. If you enjoy our work and want more, I definitely sign up. We have monthly plans starting at $2 a month. And we also have yearly plans uh, that save you 9% off from the monthly plan. And with new year's coming shortly, no better time to sign up for an annual plan than now. So again, go to patreon.com slash socks machine and sign up today. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>